Now playing Movie Reviews in 20 Qs. Hello, good people, and welcome to the podcast Movie Reviews in 20 Qs, the show where we review a movie by asking 20 weird and wonderful questions about it. I am your host, Sam Hooley, and I am joined this week by two guests, uh, first of which is making his triumphant return back to the podcast, John Mark Jenkins. How the hell are you, John? Hey, man, I'm doing good. Uh, happy to be back. Basically, I'm, you know, in podcast retirement, and I just uh, guest on other shows at this point, so it's pretty nice. No pressure. Yeah, no pressure. And we're not going to talk about the most recent podcast that me and you guested on together. I know, I know. I feel so bad, dude. You you deserve to be in the finals <laughs> with me. I think you had the best top two movies, and I had the deepest, but Gidget had the most followers, so you exactly. got screwed over. And the other person joining me from America as well is Mr. Jay Ledbetter. How are you, Jay? I am doing wonderful, man. I will tell you what, getting this thing set up with all the technology and stuff has been more difficult than pulling off a bank heist or a casino heist. It's been it's been ridiculous. But here we are. I'm happy to be here. I love the show. I'm happy to get into it, man. Oh, awesome, awesome. Now, Jay, you picked this film. Any particular reason why you pushed for this one so hard? Well, I think this was something that John Mark and I both kind of tag-teamed on. We were texting each other about, you know, what what movie we'd want to do, and we threw out mostly a bunch of, like, action movies, kind of uh, adventure heist movies, and for some reason, I know this is John Mark's, like, one of his favorite movies of all time, and it's one that I had watched several months ago and was just reminded how much I loved it, and it's just a movie that I don't know how you don't enjoy, and so it's a perfect one to to cover. So uh, I'm pumped, man. Oh, yeah, Jay excellent. was nice enough to ask me uh, my input, and we kind of collaborated a little bit. Yeah, it's a good pick. I was very, very happy to go back and rewatch this film. So, if you out there, our dearest listeners that aren't actually planning on going to uh, right rewatching this or don't really remember what happened in the film, Jay, as a person who's seen it the most recently, you're going to hit us with a plot of the film. So, what is the plot of the film Ocean's Eleven? There, Jay. All right, here we go. The plot of Ocean's Eleven. The, the the film opens on the beautiful face of George Clooney in prison. He is uh, trying to get out of prison early on good behavior, and he, uh, you know, talks his way, as he is apt to do, out of prison. And what do you do when you get out of prison? Obviously, you get revenge on the man who is now sleeping with your wife. And how do you do that? You rob the three casinos that he owns. And so he is now on this journey of revenge against the character played by Andy Garcia, and he needs to get his best possible team together to pull off an impossible heist. He gets a couple of older gentlemen for the money. He gets a, an explosives guy. He gets his best buddy Brad Pitt in there. He gets a, a con man with an inside into the uh, casino world. He gets, I don't know, two crazy Mormons for some reason. I don't know. Why not? They go on to uh, attempt to rob these three casinos, and there's some personal drama that goes in when we kind of figure out what his real motivations behind the heists are, and and then the heist happens, and you're entertained for two hours straight. Well done, man. That's probably the best plot we've ever had given on the show before. <laughs> I was going to say, that was very, very thorough. <laughs> yeah, that was ridiculous. Uh, so looking at the details for this film, came out in 2001, had a budget of $85 million, went on to make a worldwide gross of $450 million. As mentioned, stars George Clooney, as well as Bernie Mac, Brad Pitt, Elliot Gould, Casey Affleck, Scott Kahn, Eddie Jimison, John Cheadle, uh, Carl Reiner, Matt Damon, Andy Garcia, and Julia Roberts. The cast is absolutely stacked. That is ridiculous. It's just, it's insane. Uh, looking at the scores for this film, IMDb have it at 7.8 out of 10, Rotten Tomatoes have it 82%, and then Metacritic at 74. And we normally give our score first on the show, but we're going to change it up a little bit. We're actually going to give our scores after the first question, which is the compliment sandwich, which is one thing good, one thing bad, and one thing good about this film. And then you can give your score overall out of 10,000 bytes. So John, why don't you lead us off? All right. So for my compliment sandwich, first up, it's just the coolest movie. Like I texted Jay when we were talking about, you know, what movie to settle on. And I think I said uh, the quote was, it's the moviest movie ever. It's something that you watch and just get sucked into, even if it's, you know, typical movie, occasionally unbelievable or slightly illogical. But you're, you're rolling with it the whole time. So you're just kind of like, yeah, this makes sense. I'll go with this. Sure. Yeah, that that makes sense for the heist. Uh, and you never really question it, which is a pretty impressive move for a heist movie that you're not really ever like considering the nitnoid details of how they're actually going to pull it off. And even though I just called it a quote unquote flick, which is a word I never use, uh, <laughs> it is discounted as like a fun movie or a movie star movie. Uh, but I think it's actually perfect. 
And I think it can stand toe to toe with any serious art house movie. You know, it's just as enjoyable as those. Uh, for my, uh, you know, critique, the only bad, I just said it's a perfect movie. So literally the only bad thing I can say is that Brad Pitt's suits have not aged well, particularly uh, the suit that he's wearing in his opening scene when he's, you know, teaching the Hollywood folks how to play poker. That's a bad, bad suit. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's about all I can say to knock it is that his his particular wardrobe is not great. I have said for a very long time that late 90s, early 2000s fashion has aged – seriously, like the – it, it it has aged the most poorly of any generation of fashion of all time. It all looks terrible. Anything from like the Matrix for the next five years looks like hot, hot garbage. And almost every yeah. piece of culture during that five year period has aged very poorly. It's a miracle when you have a movie from like 1999 to 2002 that's like really great. So that's even more of a point in Ocean's Eleven's favor. 98 to 04, that year, that year group of, of clothing is just god awful. Mm. Um and then as my last compliment, I just want to throw something – I kind of heaped a bunch of praise on it for my first one. So I want to give something that's a little underappreciated. Uh, David Holmes' score and the songs on the soundtrack are really underappreciated aspect of not just this movie but the, the sequels as well. I would even argue that his score in the, um, in the next two movies is probably better than this first one. Fair enough. And what's his score out of 10,000 bank heists there, John? 10,000. So Really? Uh, I – Oh, it's a, I, I'm dead serious when I say it's a perfect movie for what it's trying to do. Fair enough, mate. Uh, what about you, Jay? What do you got? Okay, my compliment sandwich here. The first thing I'll discuss here is just Steven Soderbergh just having a blast making a movie. It is he, he can make any kind of movie about as well as anybody else in the world. But when you really just let him make a blockbuster... He makes just an enjoyable as hell blockbuster. There's not really much going on underneath the surface of Ocean's Eleven, I don't really think. But everything that is on the surface is pretty much perfect. And Soderbergh getting to do full popcorn entertainment is just as good as it gets in recent memory as far as popcorn entertainment goes, in my opinion. Uh, a bad thing? There's not really a whole lot bad with this movie, like John Mark said. I think the worst part about it is the 15 seconds when Trump Plaza is in big red letters on the screen when I think Brad Pitt is on the phone. Uh, and then for the latter part of my for – the, for the back end bread on my compliment sandwich, I, I had the music down as well, John Mark. So you kind of stole my thunder a little bit there. But I don't know that any movie, uh, again, in recent memory has, has – been enhanced as much by the music of this movie it it's so up tempo and really plays to the pace of the film so perfectly and always keeps you engaged and always invested in what's going to happen next and always on the edge of your seat so so i think the music is a huge component of this movie it's very playful yeah it's very playful good and, points and by the way it was uh clooney on the phone with trump plaza in the background so when he's talking to his uh <laughs> i apologize i apologize he had zero plans to leave the state close and what about a score out of ten thousand there jay all right, out of 10,000, I will give it 9,917 bank heists. Boom. Absolutely elite status. Yeah, 100%. I feel bad following that now. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, I like, similar to what you guys say, saying about how the score sort of touches well on the pacing of the film, that was the biggest part about this for me, was that even at two hours long, at no point did you feel it sort of like getting bogged down on one of the characters or one of the side plots or anything like that. It just keeps its pace really choppy, really upbeat. And it's kind of awesome in that they've got so many different characters in here and they all sort of get like a little bit of a time to shine, but they doesn't dwell on them for too long. Unfortunately, that is also my bad thing is like, it's hard for me to find a negative of this. And the only thing I would say is it could have benefited a little bit more from fleshing out some of the side characters in it and sort of given a little bit behind their sort of motives for why they join this crew. And I've got a question about that later because there was one there was one character in particular that just jumped out at me as like, <laughs> why the hell would you join this crew? And that being said, and like, yeah, John, you talked about this. The movie is just effortlessly cool. Like, sure, you've mm -hmm. got Brad Pitt in it. Sure, you've got George Clooney in it. But still, the way it's cut, the way it's shot, uh, every, just the, the settings, everything about it is just like cool to the point that you just like, it's just one hell of a ride. And yeah, as I said, very glad that you guys picked this as a rewatch. I'm going to... But don't think of as high as you guys. I think I would probably give this a score of 9,012. And that moves us over to question number two, which is what's one thing in this film that you noticed you don't think other people might have immediately noticed? John, what do you... 
So I kind of took this question a different way because maybe I'm just an idiot, but I've watched this movie countless times and it was not until this rewatch that I realized Clooney squeezes past Brad Pitt at the bar uh, when he's taking a break from the poker session with the Hollywood folks. I never knew that you could see Clooney in the frame when he's when it's when he's at the bar and he tells the bartender like uh I said I'm going to run away with your wife like the next scene Clooney is right behind him and I had never noticed that until this time so I maybe the listener has seen that and I'm just an idiot but uh I took that <laughs> away and I wanted to highlight my stupidity so fair enough what about you Jay what's one thing in this film that you noticed you don't think other people might have immediately noticed so the one thing that I just immediately noticed was the only reason that Scott Kahn is in this movie because there's not really a good reason to ever put Scott Kahn in a movie uh, the only reason he is in this movie is because his dad James Kahn was in Thief and Thief rules and James Kahn rules and that is 1000% why uh, Soderbergh put his son in this movie <laughs> Scott Kahn on blast. No reason to put Scott Kahn on a set either. Like not just in a movie, but he's he's not an enjoyable person on set either. Well, neither was his dad. So that's a like father, like son situation. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, one for me, Steven Soderbergh is one of the bank robbers with Besha. One of the guys that was blowing into the vault. Ah, I didn't know that. Yeah, that was one of the things I noticed. The other one too is that uh, when the amazing Yen is doing his backflip, it looks like one of the detonators comes out of his pocket and like lands on the ground, which would have set off the laser beams. But hey, that's just getting a bit too OCD. Yeah, you don't need to examine the heist. This is not what that movie is for. <laughs> that takes us over to question number three, which is what deep philosophical debate arose in you during this film? Uh, Jay, why don't you lead us off? Okay, so this is, you know, like I said, this is not the most thoughtful movie of all time necessarily. You know, this is not going for deep themes. This is not trying to define humanity or the meaning of life. Uh, so my philosophical debate when I was watching this movie was what was peak Brad Pitt hotness? Because look, Brad Pitt looks incredible in this movie, all right? He looks fantastic, but like John Mark was saying, his wardrobe is is a disaster in this movie, so I don't think it can be this movie. And I don't know what the answer to the question is, but it, it has been twisting my brain in knots for three days since I've seen this movie. Hmm. Interesting. What about you, John? As far as philosophical question or peak hot Brad Pitt? Oh, both, man. Have at it. <laughs> Yeah, we're getting we're getting an extra question in, Jay. <laughs> um, you know, is peak hot Brad Pitt the raw masculinity of Fight Club, perhaps, or uh, is it the Ocean's movies because he's just he's overcoming, he's putting a, a you know a handicap to himself with the wardrobe, but still is exuding you know just peak hotness. So maybe it is the Ocean's movies. Yeah, yeah. But as far as my <laughs> as far as my uh, philosophical question watching this movie. It was pretty simple. Am I cool? Because they're so cool, and it made me realize I'm probably not as cool as I think I am. And I just sat for a long time pondering if if I've ever done anything actually cool. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. You? Like, oh, Brad Pitt's hotness. It was definitely burn after reading. That was probably the hottest he's ever been, where he's playing the gym instructor, and he's just... Get his head blown off with his frosted his 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 super <laughs> frosted tips. Uh, that's the one, man. Oh, that's the hottest. But my deep philosophical debate is whether Tess would actually ditch her like new man and go straight back to Danny so quickly. Like it was blink of an eye. Just oh, you know, would you give up your money for me or whatever? No, I'd never give up my money. Oh, sweet, you're gone. Okay, I'm back with the guy that absolutely fucking shed over my life. You know, it does beg to question. Uh, so it seemed like she was hurt. Danny got sent to prison, right? So that's why she divorced him. But then why such the wild swing from like Danny's personality to to Benedict? You know, it, it it's a valid question. I, I'll give you that. I've got more to say about here later, but uh, that's all good. <laughs> that moves us over to our next question, which is the first of our Patreon questions. These are questions that are submitted to us by you, our wonderful, wonderful patrons. Uh, for the Princess Lama, $5 a month, you get to have your questions in here, the first of which is from Dave Baker. Dave's also got his own Patreon at patreon.com forward slash your favorite. And on it, he posts a cornucopia of creative content ranging from pro samples to YouTube recommendations, uh, video essays, and, and essays on Medium. Uh, you guys should all go check it out. And there's a link in the show notes. And what Dave would like to know is which two characters would you want with you at your house party? Now, John, why don't you lead us off? So, you know, the easy or obvious answers would be Rusty and Danny, right? Because they're so cool. But uh, as I as I stated earlier, this movie had me questioning whether I actually am. So 
I would like to hang out, uh, in fact, with uh, Ruben and Frank. I feel like Ruben throws great house parties and tells great stories and 100% just wears a bathrobe uh, and a cigar in one hand and a scotch in another, uh, walking around the house, asking everyone if they're having a good time. And then Frank also tells great stories. And I would feel slightly more on their level of cool. So I'm going to go with them. Yeah, bro, that makes sense. Good answer. What about you, Jay? All right. So I, uh, you know, you you do sometimes just have to go with the obvious answer. And the most obvious one for me is Rusty. You have to go with Rusty because, look, he's going to bring the ladies. All right. He's incredibly charming. And most importantly, you know that he is going to get the party catered. He's always munching on something. He's got to have something to eat at all times. And so you got to bring Rusty. <laughs> That's always, yeah. And then secondly... You got to bring Frank as well for, for, for the same reasons that John Mark was talking about there. He's just going to be killing it with the bits all night. He's going to be making everybody crack up left and right and just an endlessly fun time. So for me, it's Rusty. For me, it's Frank. Yeah, bro, I completely understand. Uh, I also went with Rusty. I mean, for the same reason you guys have mentioned. But the other one I want is the Amazing Yen. That guy is a bloody performance <laughs> machine. I want him dancing all around the party. I want him doing backflips onto my kitchen sink or whatever, I, where, wherever he wants to jump. That's the dude I want, man. I want him scaling walls. He'd be a hell of a good time. You don't need to buy entertainment for the party. Goddamn acrobat. He'd be amazing. Yeah. Uh, the Amazing Yen. Yeah, there we go. My joke I didn't even realize. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that leads us over to question number five, which is, uh, what is your most controversial opinion about this film? Why don't you lead us off there, Jay? Okay, so my controversial opinion about Ocean's Eleven is that it is the best pure blockbuster of the century, meaning that it is mostly, I think, empty calories, but it is like the most delicious bowl of ice cream I have had since the year 2000. I, I just think this thing is endlessly entertaining. And I don't feel much when I watch this movie. I don't think much when I watch this movie, but it is just a joy. Holy shit. That's some big praise. So even I think that's a little bold because you're dismissing like Lord of the Rings and Mad Max. It's better than Lord of the Rings and Mad Max makes me think. So it's like this balance of mindlessness and entertainment. Well, that's what I was going to say. It depends on how you define it, because Mad Max is both a blockbuster and then like a, a mo- like a movie that you can think about. So it kind of it's able to do both. But in terms of like a the old cl- classic like star power blockbuster, that's just a blockbuster not off of uh, an event, but just off of the names alone. Then yeah, it's Oceans. Mm. Um, my controversial opinion, I guess I already hit on it because I kind of blew Sam away with my score. <laughs> it's a perfect movie. So uh, kind of to touch on what Jay said, it's it's not like I'm sitting here saying this is uh, Citizen Kane or the Seventh Seal or, you know, uh, the Godfather even. It's it's just it's so, it does what it uh, sets out to do perfectly. And it's not trying to, like, get you to ponder uh, life or, you know, ooh this this particular uh, technique reveals what the character's, uh, you know, reasoning was. It's just like, here's a cool movie, enjoy it, and yeah, you do. Fair enough. Uh, I've sort of briefly touched on my one because I don't really understand her character, her motivations, and simply by saying her, I'm speaking to the only female role in the movie. I just felt like Julia Roberts's role, I guess, in the entire film was a little bit unnecessary. I don't know. There was something about it that just irked me that just made me feel like she didn't need the need to be there for this film to succeed. So, yeah, that's just my opinion. I just, just oh, there's something about Julia Roberts in this film that just makes me think, is she really necessary? Do we really need her? Well, have you seen Ocean's 12? Because in that movie, uh, everybody, she's a very essential part of the movie and everyone hates her. <laughs> you know, I think I've actually have not seen Ocean's 12, but you've completely well, sold in that, the, the entire crux of the end of that movie is that Julia Roberts plays a character who looks like Julia Roberts, the actress. Which begs the question, does George Clooney and Brad Pitt, do they exist in the oceans? It really opens up a can of worms. I I love Ocean's 12. I love that movie. It's it's so bizarre. I do too. I think it's actually good. I, I think it's actually uh, an enjoyable movie. 
is it like somehow like disliked? Like, is it? Oh, people when it when it came out, people hated it, and I think people have kind of come around to it now. It's like a it's like a French New Wave Oceans movie. It's so much different than Oceans Eleven. It's so weird. It people oh, come on, have to people really either either like the conceit of uh, Julia Roberts playing a character that looks like Julia Roberts, or they hate it and therefore hate the movie. So it's it's one or the other. I must admit the whole conceit of the or the whole idea of Julia Roberts playing Julia Roberts does feel kind of tacky. You you have to you either go with it or you don't. And if you vibe exactly. with yep. Soderbergh just being like I'm going to do whatever I want and have fun, then you're with it. And if you can't really get on its page, then I get it and you won't really like it. Fair yeah, enough. You just got to lean into it. Uh, that moves us over to our second of our Patreon questions, which comes courtesy of the amazing woman that was in, that was the amazing woman that is Emily Higgins. She was on most recently to review American Psycho, and she's actually hosting one of our episodes that's coming up on Legally Blonde. Because surprise, surprise, there's no way in hell I wanted to do that film. And, <laughs> and the question that she'd like to know is, which side character from this film would make for their own awesome spin-off movie? Now, John, why don't you lead us off? You know, I kind of mentioned I'd love to be at a house party with Ruben. So I think like a link letter, um, you know, one night type movie with a a party that Ruben is throwing would be a really interesting movie. Um, I would also particularly enjoy, uh, you know, kind of like a hangout movie that link letter is very famous for. I would also particularly enjoy a buddy comedy with uh, the twins, the the Mormon twins, uh, Virgil and Turk. Yes. Um, I, I would watch the hell out of that. Thanks for taking my answer there by going with uh, your other option. <laughs> Cheers, man. Yeah, I mean that was basically my one. The Mellow Brothers. I mean, we see them at the start. They're racing a like a, like a racing a truck against a goddamn remote control truck. So, what about yeah, you, where Jack? do they get where do they get all their money? I don't know, but they they've got just this that that little monster truck. That thing costs thousands of dollars easily, and they just run it over. Uh, so you yeah. know what? Good for them. Don't know where they got it, but uh, I'm, I'm willing to go along with it. But I'm on the same page with John Mark here. I, I went with Ruben. I want a Better Call Saul style prequel with Ruben <laughs> because we, we know he has this history. We know that he's been screwed over by all these guys in Vegas. I want to see his history, his dealings, his, his all the ways that he's operated in the underworld of Las Vegas. I want to see that show or that movie. Let's make it an HBO miniseries. Oh, yeah, bro. I like that one. That's good. Uh, the next question is also a Patreon question. This question comes courtesy of Dan Brennick of the Netflix and Swill podcast, a podcast that covers everything Netflix related. It's just awesome. And Dan threw two questions at us. <laughs> one, that's, one that's very serious, one that's obviously, obviously not. And we've gone with the non-serious question for this round. And what Dan would like to know is where would we have inserted the song All the Small Things by Blink-182 into this film? Uh, Jay, leave us off. Okay, so this is easy. I mean, this is the easiest question of all of these. The answer is you do it during uh, Yen's portion of the heist, obviously. You do it immediately <laughs> after immediately, immediately after George Clooney says, there's a 95-pound Asian man with $160 million behind this door. Then it goes, all the small things. And then for the next however long it is, 45 seconds while he's doing his acrobatics, that song plays, and then you move on with the heist. Excellent. What about you, John? Uh, I went with the montage of just, you know, them accruing and assembling their team. So you just have that playing throughout the whole time that, you know, you're seeing these little snippets of, of Rusty. Usually it's Rusty going to pick them up. So I would just play it over that montage. You might have to play it twice. Yeah. That's a pretty long montage, actually. <laughs> <laughs> For me, the song is kind of a bland soulless like pop culture song sort of thing so i thought it'd be awesome to be playing over the scene where they've got those tv celebrities all playing poker with each other oh you know that's actually a good call that fits nicely into jay's theory about uh everything from the late 90s to early to mid 2000s just being you know blandless hot you know hot shit pop culture (laughs) stuff look you know you know topher grace in this movie was blasting all the small things in his car as he was pulling up to that poker game Oh, fuck yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, good. And talking about insane things, that moves us over to question number eight, which is what part of this film was the most ridiculous leap of logic? Now, John, why don't you lead us off with that one? Yeah, so to me, like I said, I don't try to examine the heist all that much, but I think the the greatest leap is the fact that Benedict's men would not have checked in on Danny getting beat up or have just been suspicious about the noises coming out of that room uh, when he, you know, the big guy that he knows 
uh, that kind of is acting out, beating him up. It just seems like they would have gone in the room because I think Danny was gone like 30 minutes at least, right? Like in, in the movie. Um, so that's the most unbelievable. Not to mention they're also standing outside of the door and they can hear everything that he's saying. Like they, they hear him inside and, you know, he's like, oh, don't hit me, don't hit me. So, you know, if they can hear him saying that, they immediately would have heard, heard him go, hey, hey, how are you, Bruiser? Yeah, cheers. Hey, don't go do too hard on me. Hey, I'm out of here. See you later. You know, they would have heard that shit. Well, if we want to do leaps of logic, we can we can yeah, make this I a four-hour podcast if you want, if we want to go through <laughs> all of them. No, thanks. I'm good. Uh, my leap of logic is when Rusty gets Basher away from the very live crime scene immediately following uh, a failed bank robbery. Rusty just walks up to him and through sheer swagger pulls him away from the crime scene immediately, which look like awesome flex. I get it, but come on a little bit, you know, I found that incredibly believable. Brad Pitt walking up, flashing, uh, you know, flashing an ID and then yelling, go get rigs. And then a bomb goes off. You don't think there's confusion going on there? I think they could easily have walked away. I mean, look, when, when, when Brad Pitt comes up to you in person, you do whatever he asks you to do. So I understand it, but, but, but also, like, do your job, man. <laughs> Fair enough. The one for me was that Tess wouldn't check her pocket or even wear the same jacket two nights in a row because obviously Danny sneaks a mobile phone into her pocket that's half the size of a brick, and then she doesn't notice that. She would have taken her jacket off, not noticed the, the weight inside the pocket. And then went to put on the jacket the next night, doesn't notice the mobile phone in there at that point, and then finally notices it when he rings her. That to me was like, come on, man. The the, the 2000, year 2000 phone technology in this movie, top notch. Just just love just seeing that. I, I remember those days. But no, that that's fair. Look, again, there there are leaps of logic made in this movie. And uh, we, we could keep going for a while. And you either dwell on them or you just freaking go with it. And I just freaking <laughs> go with it, man. Exactly. Well said. And that takes us down to question number nine, which is which quote from this film would be the worst thing to hear immediately after you finish having sex? What do you got there, John? I mean, this depends on what you want to hear after immediately having sex, but uh, there's a 95-pound Chinese man with $160 million <laughs> behind this door. <laughs> it has it has an implication behind it that, you know, it's like, you're going to have to take this money, but also do some stuff. Um, so maybe that is a good thing to hear. I, I have a couple other, or I have two other ones. I'm going to get out of the car and I'm going to drop you like third period French. That's not the greatest thing to hear afterwards. Or I'm running away with your wife, which that would just beg the question, who is saying that in that room? Cause it sounds like somebody else barged into the room uh, to announce that. So those are my three. And I know I'm cheating with multiple answers, but not on a lot of podcasts these days anymore, guys. So I gotta get them in where I can. Uh, no, you know, you know, John Mark keeps doing uh, multiple answers, and he keeps uh, stepping on the toes of the other people on the podcast. <laughs> because the one that I had was was the the entire exchange of how was it longest hour of my life, and then what. I'm running away with your wife. Uh, that would be the worst thing that you could possibly hear uh, immediately afterwards is that entire exchange. So, yeah. All right. I, I guess I'll take uh, saying that for the third time this podcast. Yeah, good work, Jay. I also had multiple ones, but I haven't got one of your guys' ones. The first of which is blew it all on the suit. <laughs> <laughs> Second one is what? Did you guys get a group rate or something? <laughs> <laughs> That's also just a great line in the movie. They are. My, my final one, and the one that I was hoping you guys wouldn't take, is, all right, you proved your point. You broke into my vault. Congratulations. You're a dead man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good one, and far more creative than anything that John Mark or I came up with. Kudos. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cheers, Jay. Question number 10. Which seemingly likable character from this film is actually kind of an asshole? I mean, this this is an impossible question because the whole point of the movie is that every character is an asshole, but they're all entirely likable. Like that's the entire movie. So, uh, uh, all of the above D. Yeah, bro. That makes sense. Good answer. I mean, I guess if you really look at it, Danny does put a lot of people, not just his crew, but a lot of people in Vegas, like their lives at stake over stealing his wife back who she divorced him of her own accord no one held a gun to her head she made a decision like a grown-ass woman and divorced him because he went to prison and he had this foolhardy plan to get her back that may or may not work 
and they might get caught and a lot of people might go to jail. That's kind of an asshole move, I guess. But he's so cool, so I don't care. <laughs> That's the whole question of this movie. What's better, cool or nice? And uh, the answer is cool, emphatically, this movie proves. Yeah. <laughs> emphatically. Absolutely. Yeah. The one I had was Basher. And the reason why is because I lived in London for six years, and even still, after six years of living there, I still didn't understand Cockney slang. And what the fuck inspires this guy to come and start, like, spitting out Cockney slang at a bunch of Americans? Why the fuck would you do that? You speak English, man. You grew up in England. You know these people don't speak Cockney. What the fuck's your problem, dude? Let John, let Don Cheadle do his thing, okay? They, they said to Don Cheadle, do whatever kind of weird Cockney bullshit you want to do in this movie. And he was like, all right, governor, I'll go ahead and do that then, innit? <laughs> That's correct. He went for it. He really went for it. Poor old Don Cheadle. Anyway, that moves us over to our personal questions, which are questions that can be that we've come up with while watching this film. The first to lead us off this week is John's. What do you got there, John? So my first question, uh, when they go to Ruben's house and they're trying to get him to, you know, bankroll them, and he initially turns them down and he says, you know, but I always will owe you for the thing at the place. You know, I appreciate it. And Rusty's response was, I had never been to Belize. And it just made me wonder, what do you think happened in Belize between Ruben, Rusty, and Danny? And for me, this was a very, like, I, I didn't understand why you asked this question. I thought it was abundantly clear. I thought it was very much implied that obviously there was a yacht heist on the coast of the Cayman Islands about 10 to 15 years ago. Obviously, I don't know how you didn't pick this up. It was supposed to be an easy deal. They, they were stealing a mound of cash from one of uh, the guys that screwed Ruben on a casino deal in, in Vegas. And Rusty was kind of the leader there. He was kind of wheeling and dealing and, and getting to know everybody and figuring out exactly how this was going to get done. But what does Rusty love more than anything in the world? A good snack. And he got distracted by the all-you-can-eat buffet on the yacht. And at that point, he got double-crossed because... He had told somebody one thing and somebody else the other thing, and then they started talking and they figured out that his stories didn't line up. And what do you do in that situation? If you're a rich guy, you get a helicopter, you take him to Belize, and you get all the information you can out of him. And then at that point, Danny's got to go and save the day, get Brad Pitt back in one piece. And luckily, he does. He rents a helicopter with Basher, who goes and does like a distraction explosion. And then they go and get Brad Pitt, they get Rusty back, and then they bring him back to Ruben, and it was a failed mission overall, but lessons learned. This is the Ocean's 8 that we deserve. <laughs> I would watch this prequel. How the hell do I follow that? What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to read out verbatim what I've got written down here. Uh, he got really, really drunk one night, woke up the next morning, had no money, had a set of breast implants that he had paid for. And the doctor I hadn't paid for, and the doctor was coming after him, asking him for the money for the breast implants. And he rang up Danny. I was like, you got to get the fuck out of here, man. Everything's turned to shit. And that's it. That's all I had. That's actually way more believable. That sounds like, a, that, that sounds like a good short film. I think that's an Academy Award winning short film. I don't think that that can be drawn out into an entire feature. Yeah, you're being too kind there. Awesome. What do you got next, Joram? How would the Fast and Furious crew accomplish the Ocean's Eleven heist? We all know the Fast and the Furious guys just do ridiculously preposterous things. So we'd start off with Vin Diesel dropping a hummer down the elevator shaft. Michelle Rodriguez somehow grabbing Tess, swirling around a couple of times and ending up in the ring. And, you know, getting between Lennox Lewis and Klitschko and basically having their own fight in the middle of the ring. Uh, the Rock would grab Andy Garcia and just rock bottom him through a roulette table for no reason whatsoever. Ludacris would be doing 200 miles per hour down the Vegas Strip while hacking into the computer system. And Tyrese Gibson, he'd probably like, he'd be at a casino in Atlantic City or something like that. He'd basically be completely the wrong fucking place. And then he'd be saying, oh, hell no. <laughs> because that's his entire awesome. role in those movies. The only other one was Jason Statham. And I'm just imagining him just like Cockney slanging it off with, like he'd basically be the Bash's, you know, like the vision of Bash. And he'd be Cockney slanging <laughs> someone. Some American dude would just be calling him a red coat or some shit like that. And you'd be like, oh, fuck you, pal. And then, yeah. That's uh, the oi, governor, isn't it? <laughs> that's the one. Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's probably pretty accurate. That was a very good description. Uh, my version of this Fast and Furious movie is the Fast and Furious movies, they get more and more ridiculous every time. And they've gotten pretty ridiculous at this point. I'm imagining this as Fast 9 or Fast 10. And so we have to up the ante. And so we've, it, Vegas, it's been, all. it's been talked about on Twitter for years. They're going to space. And so if they're robbing this casino, they are using some sort of 
gravitational device to lift the entire casino off of the Earth, strapping it to the back of a space shuttle, putting it into outer space. It's very much like in Fast Five when they had when they dragged the safe behind the cars, except this time it's an entire casino and a spaceship going to outer space. And so obviously when they go to outer space, everyone inside the casino dies. Sorry about it. Uh, real bummer, but you know, there will be another boxing champ down the road. And then they, Vin Diesel goes out, uh, in his spacesuit, uh, and then they go out and they get all the money and then they, they hug it out because that's really what Fast and Furious is all about is family. That's Mm. what family does. Yeah. That's entirely logical, if not probable. Uh, hold on. I just got a text. Uh, I just got offered to write Fast and Furious 10. I to to Sam's point of the rock like throwing a guy down on a roulette table like the amount of puns that are out there for the rock to have a fight in a on a casino floor I mean he could just look at the guy at the blackjack table and go hit me and then get hit he could you know get swarmed by a bunch of bad guys and just say something stupid like I see it's a full house you know something <laughs> dumb or after throwing the guy down on the roulette table like Hopefully it's a white guy and he can say always bet on black or something like that. Oh, yeah. It would just be amazing. Like the amount of puns for The Rock, it's uncountable. I know that's not a word, but I, I lost I lost my, my steam. It's it's on un, it's uncountable. It's on it's uncountable. <laughs> uh, last question for you guys. Uh who is cast as the eleven if this was made in the mid seventies? So as Sam pointed out wisely when I suggested this kind of Splitting the difference between the original and uh, the 2001 remake, I would like to see you know that that crew of just supremely talented 70s actors get get a knock at this one. So, what do you guys got for your Ocean's Eleven cast from the mid 70s? Okay, so I I went uh, I went thorough here. So prepare yourself. I'm thinking late 70s, like latter age of New Hollywood, like. This is in the, the age of Apocalypse Now, Taxi Driver kind of era stuff. So for the Danny Ocean character, the George Clooney equivalent, I'm going Robert Redford. Uh, I think that makes all the sense in the world. And then for Rusty, I'm going with Harrison Ford. He's coming off of Star Wars. So he's a big name at this point. And I think he just makes he I think he's a great Brad Pitt surrogate, kind of snarky, sarcastic. I think he 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 works perfectly in that role. Uh, then for the Matt Damon character, Linus, I'm going with a little young gun in the game, a newbie. He's like 24, 25 at this point. I'm going with John Travolta coming off of Saturday Night Fever, all that good stuff for the Bernie Matt character. This was hard. And uh, what I realized while trying to figure out who the Bernie Matt character would be, they did not give African-American actors very many opportunities in the 1970s. And so the very obvious option here is they would give this role to Richard Pryor, right? I mean, that's just who they would give it to. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's very unfortunate that it was that obvious, but I kind of thought it was. As for the Scott Con Casey Affleck Mormon duo, I went with Kurt Russell, who at this point was kind of like a baby faced nice guy character. And then I went with Jeff Goldblum, who had been in some like Robert Altman movies, was known as like a physical comedy weirdo. I think they could have this like weird uh, vibe going on there for the John Cheadle Basher character for the the, the kind of loopy explosives guy. Dennis Hopper, 100 percent would have been perfect Ooh, like in that. that role. Yen, uh, this was another little one where it's like, oh, I don't know. And the obvious one is Jackie Chan because he was kind of on the up and up at that point. And, and, and he's, he's kind of the only point, the only option, not really knowing a whole lot about Asian cinema at that point, uh, other than, you know, Jackie Chan was an icon and his physical abilities as an actor are, uh, kind of unparalleled for the, Livingston character, I am going with Albert Brooks as the uh, really nervous kind of tech guy. Uh, I think he has some of the same energy. He would have been coming off of Taxi Driver at this point. For Elliot Gould uh, slash Ruben, I'm going Elliot Gould still. We have to adjust the character (laughs) a little bit. But look, Elliot Gould was on a roll during this era, and and he totally could have. You you have to morph the character a little bit, but he totally would have worked. And this is the big. This is the big get. I don't know that we could pull this off, but if we can for Saul, I think we try and get Orson Welles as Saul. 
and, and, and I think shit. and I think he would have been absolutely perfect in that little small role. So so those are my uh, those are my Ocean's Eleven. Oh, that's a good one. Couple of crossovers. I felt like this one almost wrote itself, and it's almost an echo of an earlier film in the seventies. But Paul Newman and Robert Redford as Danny and uh, Rusty. Yeah, fair. Uh, you're right about the Frank Cadden character, aka Bernie Mac. There wasn't a lot of black actors that really hit their popularity in the 70s, but having just recently seen Dolomite is my name, I reckon they might have roped in Dolomite. <laughs> he might have been pretty good as Frank Cadden, maybe a little bit risque, but hey, you know. That would have been funny. Yeah, yeah. that would have been funny. Uh, as Ruben, I went with Kirk Douglas. Long past. That would have been good. Spartacus and all that sort of fame, but, uh, yeah. As the Malloy brothers, you want someone that just oozes insanity and yet a little bit of charm. So that's a woman of Al Pacino and Jack Nicholson. Oh, you, you just you just blew our budget. Yeah, I know. Our budget's blown. Exactly. That's what I'm going for. Then for Livingston Dow, the sort of nebbish, sort of like, you know, a little bit odd, a little bit weird sort of guy. I went with Dustin Hoffman. Richard yeah, I he was definitely up for that role for me. Yeah. Also, Richard Pryor, I had him as Basher. Um, same again, there wasn't a lot of Asian actors that were hitting their fame in the 70s, and obviously Bruce had unfortunately left this world, so Jackie Chan played the amazing Yen, and then um, a very young actor who would later become instantly popular in Superman, I had Christopher Reeves as Linus Cordwell, aka Matt Damon's character. Keeping the Superman connection, I had Marlon Brando as Soul Bloom. Yeah, that's a good nice. call. Okay, that moves me over to my questions. Ah, I sort of hinted at this a little bit earlier, but... The Amazing Yen is basically a highly successful circus performer. And then, um, yeah, he basically just gives it up and joins this like group of criminals. So I want to know from you guys, what do you guys think was happening at the circus that made Yen just basically want to give up his fame and fortune and become a professional thief? So I did a little research for this one because I was like, fame and fortune for a Cirque performer? Oh. I don't know. The typical Cirque du Soleil performer, I looked it up, they're... Their salaries are generally between $30,000 and $100,000 a year. So let's just go ahead and knock out fortune, all right? I mean, okay. you're making hundred grand, you are doing well, but yeah. he, probably he's looking more at the $50,000 range. So he's, he, he's got a livable wage, but he's certainly not killing it. You know, he's not going down the Las Vegas Strip every night uh, paying for everybody's drinks. Uh, and so on that front, you know... Uh, one eleventh of $160 million sounds pretty good. And as far as the fame goes, I mean, come on. This is just a falsehood that you're presenting to us here. This, this is an incorrect premise. He has neither fame nor fortune in this instance. And I get wanting to go to a life of crime. They're really exploiting his talents. And they're making the most of what he could possibly be. He's living up to his full potential. <laughs> Interesting argument. <laughs> What do you got there, John? Uh, same thing. And I ran it enough on my, my own question. So I'll just answer this question with another one, which is, does the circus pay well? And Jay already answered it. So we're good to go. <laughs> <laughs> it was just for me. It just seems the most unusual. You know, like everyone else is just, you know, like it's sort of like they are criminals. They're career criminals. This is what they do. This is what their modus operandi is sort of thing. And then he's just like this random dude. And then as I was watching it, I started thinking to myself, Maybe he doesn't actually know what's going on, because as we see in the heist, he's outside and then they're all like, you know, come inside if you want to do this heist, blah, blah, blah. And he just goes inside and maybe he's just following the pack, because as we see inside, Brad Pitt has to basically talk to him in Chinese to explain to him exactly what's going on. And he's a bit like, oh, OK, OK, OK. And I sort of feel like he's almost, I don't know, like it's just, uh, what is it, what, you know, the psychological term, we just go along with people like a herd mentality sort of thing. You're just seeing everyone else doing it. So you're like, ah, fuck it. I'll do it as well. I'll go on the other end of that argument. I feel like the, the circus is just a front. He's, he's Batman, or I guess he's actually Robin. So this is actually a superhero prequel movie for, uh, the amazing yen. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yen is Robin. Jackie Chan is Batman. Of course. Look at the shit we're pulling out of this. This is brilliant. I, I will say for yeah, we're Hollywood. <laughs> tune in. I know. I know nobody's writing any scripts, right? Or they're at least not producing any movies. But listen to us if you want some ideas. I, I just want to point out with the yen scene. That's one of the best lines in the movie when Clooney is watching it and he's thoroughly unimpressed and he just goes, "I don't know. That doesn't look so." And then yen does like a backflip on. Mm. It's just a perfectly timed line. I love it. Mm. Moving on to my next question, as we discover in the film, Rusty, okay, Brad Pitt, finds out about Tess, finds out that the whole job is kind of personal 
for Danny. And at that point, you know, he has a serious sort of moral question. And I want to know from you guys, what would you guys have done? Would you have accepted the fact that it was a little bit personal? Would you have left or would you have kicked Danny off the heist? I would have. Danny's gone. Danny's out 100%. I say, bye-bye, Danny. You get 50% of your share. Thank you for leading a horse to water. But now you are out of this crew for now. This is irresponsible. You are a liability at this point. You know, we'll, we'll give you a finder's fee, but we'll do everything that we put together. But you are now out of the group. He is acting uh, pretty uh, emotionally. And that's a problem when you're trying to commit a, a very, very intricate crime. So for me, he's he's out. Yeah, completely agree. Um, I guess it depends on how far along you are in the planning, but it seems like they know what they're supposed to do at that point when Rusty finds out. So I kick him off. And uh, if he pushes back like he did in the movie, I tell the rest of the team and then and then he's gone. If he was kicked off the team, do you guys really think they would have been able to pull it off, though? Because he becomes an integral part. Well, really, he's his whole thing is just he has the connections with the bruiser. I mean, that's really what his role ends up being. And I guess maybe you need that connection. Does it work without him? I don't know. But but if I'm in the shoes of those guys as they're planning it, I kick him out. Will we fail? Very possibly. Uh, <laughs> now, to Sam's point, you could argue the move, the heist fails if Danny isn't found out because he doesn't bring batteries. But Linus does. So Linus would have been fine on his own pulling off the heist mm, interesting cool uh final question something a bit stupid which one of the 11 do you guys reckon is a hardcore flat earther i really like this question uh it seems like it's definitely reuben because he talks about like uh in the second one it's oceans 12 so it's not it's not this one but uh when they're talking about their losses with their investments he's like didn't you guys see the signs I saw the signs, so it just seems like he's a flat earther. To okay. me. So for me, it's definitely Virgil. It's definitely Casey Affleck. He he seems like he's got a just got a got a screw or two loose in general. I don't really know why they chose him to be a part of the crew in the first place, other than that he'd be a fun character in a movie. Really, all he does is put balloons in front of a camera and uh, distract people in a casino. Uh, many people could do that, but he does seem a little unhinged, and I think he's up to some mysterious weird stuff i think he's over here telling me not to vaccinate my children and that the earth is flat <laughs> now i wish i'd have gone with my second choice which was going to be turk uh and that would have been a great pairing yeah so yeah yeah, yeah twins good answer these guys and that moves us over to jay's questions what do you got there jay all right my first question is uh obviously based off of this trilogy of films that we got from steven soderbergh we got a uh, sequel from Gary Ross just a couple years ago, I guess, Ocean's 8, uh, which was, you know, kind of a, a spin on this entire series. And in that film, Sandra Bullock's character is a member of the Ocean family. She is Danny Ocean's sister in the movie. On a scale of 1 to 10, how interested would you be in a team up of the Soderbergh and Sandra Bullock Ocean's teams? I, I want to explain my answer before I give a number. A huge fan of the Oceans trilogy. Did not particularly enjoy the Oceans 8 movie. I feel like they could have just done something a whole lot different with it. But I would just like to see more Oceans, specifically Danny and his crew. So the only answer to this is is 11, right? <laughs> and Oceans 11, well done. Spinal Tap, wow. Oceans 11, and... It, you know, it eclipsed the 1 to 10 scale. So that's the holy trifecta right there. But you're all in. Yeah, why not? Let's do it. You know, we did 12, 13, and 8. Let's let's do... I, my question would be, what number do you give the sequel? That's a good question. Obviously, Bernie Mac can't be in it anymore. Um, unfortunately, RIP, Bernie Mac, uh, you will be missed. It's an it's an easy answer, guys. It's 21, because you're going back to Vegas. Mm. That's Blackjack, and it's the 8 plus 13 from the last Danny movie. So it's it's 21. Hollywood. Come on. Wow, we really are. We really are just breaking the industry right now. I can't believe the ideas that we are coming up with right now. The the brain energy, the creative energy between the three of us is out of this world. Exactly. I similar to you, I was not a fan of the Sandra Bullock film whatsoever. I and after watching this film, after rewatching this film and just seeing the utter charm, coolness, uh, you know, like the plot, the woven narratives, everything like that of this film. It made me realize how awesome this original Ocean's Eleven was and then made me remember how crap Ocean's 8 was. This, for me, 
is such a hard one to like answer because like yes I'd like to see that movie but at the same time would I be excited about it would I be that you know interested in it would I necessarily run out to see it on opening night probably not so I'm probably a six just slightly over a five a six yeah about that yeah for me that for for me this all revolves around is Soderbergh attached if Soderbergh's attached I'm at a nine and if he's not I'm at like a three like I, I don't want any more Oceans movies that don't have Steven Soderbergh directing them so the that, that's kind of where I'm at uh, my next question is. Is this the honest to God best cast of any movie this century? Because it's it's yes. a debate to be had. Yes. Okay. All right. Yes. I've, I mean, Sam. I've got it some off at the top of the podcast. I've got some other options that I've written down. Okay, Sam. Do you have? Do you have? What's your opinion before we before we uh, move to the debate itself? Uh, I feel like I could be swayed. I feel like you guys might be forgetting movie forty three. So. Oh God! You know what? Actually, <laughs> decent point. Despite being one of the most abominable pieces of art to ever have seen the light of day, that's actually so I guess a good that's point. That's a good question. Are we are we talking cast roll roll call or execution? Because those are two different things. Okay, so let me let me nail out the ones that I kind of discovered as as the potential winners. So the first one that I thought of was Lincoln which has just the deepest roster of actors ever. You got, obviously, Daniel Day-Lewis, heavyweight. Sally Field, Tommy Lee Jones, John Hawks, Tim Blake Nelson, Jackie Earl Haley, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, James Spader, Michael Stuhlbarg, Jared Harris, Lee Pace, Walton Goggins, David Oyelowo, Bill Camp, and Adam Driver. All right, that is a deep, deep roster of yeah. actors there. Then the other one I thought of was the the other one I thought of was that that it's a lot of character actors is the problem with that one. There's not as many movie stars in it. The other one I thought of was The Departed. Yeah. DiCaprio, Nicholson, Damon Wahlberg, Martin Sheen, Alec Baldwin, Ray Winstone, and Vera Farmiga. Definitely a very formidable cast in that one. Um, for sure. And then, that would be that's that's competition for sure, but still not not enough, not enough numbers. I feel like. And the last one, which I, I, I don't think this one has the numbers either, but as, as far as being front loaded, The Dark Knight, Christian Bale, Ledger, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman, Gary Oldman, uh, Aaron Eckhart, Maggie Gyllenhaal is pretty stacked, but I, I don't think that one really matches it. For me, it's either you, you, you go with the incredibly deep character actor roster of Lincoln or the front loaded but super stacked Ocean's Eleven. So it's, it, it's, it's up for debate. But that's why that's why Oceans is the answer because it has the the deep star power that Departed and Dark Knight can roll out, but also the even deeper like character actor and just other like good actors that that Lincoln Lincoln doesn't have like Elliot Gould get a movie made on their own, you know. But it, but Oceans has Academy Award winner George Clooney, Academy Award winner Brad Pitt, Academy Award winner Julia Roberts, Academy Award winner for screenplay Matt Damon. Did George Academy Clooney Award win? Did George Clooney win an Academy Award? George Clooney has not won an Academy for Award. S- supporting for Syriana, didn't he? Or not, did he just get nominated? Did he? I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm not the biggest like Oscar guy in the world, but maybe he did. Make some very good points, Lincoln. I, I forgot how st- bloody stacked that. Film. He did win. He won for Syriana. John Mark, you win. I still stand by um, movie 43, though. I still reckon that's the best cast in film history. <laughs> You know what? Let me. I, I'm going to look it up here. We're going to run through the cast of movie 43, and we're going to see if that is because it is very possible that that is the best cast of this century. Your question was the cast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your question was the cast, and we're going to do it right now. All right, here we go. We have Dennis Quaid, Greg Kinnear, Common, Seth MacFarlane, Hugh Jackman, Kate Winslet, uh, Liev Schreiber, Naomi Watts, Chris Pratt, Anna Faris, J.B. Smoove, Emma Stone, Richard Gere, Kate Bosworth, Jack McBrayer, Justin Long, Jason Sudeikis, Uma Thurman, Bob- Bobby Cannavale, Kristen Bell, Leslie Bibb, Katrina Bowden, Christopher Mensplos, Chloe Grace Moretz, Gerard Butler, Sean William Scott, Johnny Knoxville, Halle Berry, Stephen Merchant. <laughs> it sounds like you're just listing out the uh, hosts for a season of Saturday Night Live. <laughs> Elizabeth Banks, Josh Dumal. Elizabeth Banks. It, it, uh, Josh you know what? Honestly, the the answer is probably movie forty three for the best cast. Uh, although it's a, that's a bunch of like B level stars. Like Gerard Butler is like C level George Clooney. So it's like yeah. it's like the worst version of this. And especially like Emma Stone when that movie was made was not Emma Stone as we know her today. So 
Uh, I'm just not going to give so movie 43 I, any credit at all and erase <laughs> it from existence, and it no longer qualifies for this award. Anyway, yep. my last question. Uh, early in the film, there's a scene where Brad Pitt is teaching a bunch of real-life celebrities, uh, playing themselves. You've got Topher Grace, you've got the guy from Fringe, you got the guy from The League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, whatever that guy's name was. Uh, you got you got a handful of semi-famous people playing, uh, yeah, the Dawson's Creek guy. Brad Pitt is teaching them to play poker. And so I'm wondering who would be the most insufferable trio of celebrities to play poker with? What is your just nightmare poker table? There was only one answer that immediately jumped to my head. So it's this one and this one alone. And then the other two are like, I, they would be kind of not fun. Uh, Ansel Elgort, not a fan of that. <laughs> what? He just seems like a douchebag. He's not a good actor. Like Baby Driver is a good movie and despite all his efforts to not make it a good movie. He's see, he seems too boring to be the pick here. He, he would just be like a dud of a poker player, not like actively annoying. I, I find him incredibly. annoying. <laughs> I don't know why. Like, why did we select this guy to be like one of the up and comers? The other two are people that I like their work, but I just feel like they'd be insufferable. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Joaquin Phoenix. I don't know if I could hands. see that. Jennifer Lawrence, I remember well, Remember when we were all in love with Jennifer Lawrence. Like, we, we'd all just had the biggest crush on Jennifer Lawrence. I, and then she became kind of like a tryhard. We were like, yes, you, you want us you. to love you. And, and that's not what I want out of a person. Like, did she stage the tripping up the... Exactly, yes. exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. It was somewhere between, what was it, Winter's Bone and Hunger Games. It was one of the Hunger Games movies. You just went from being like, wow, this like woman has an amazing amount of talent to this is the most insufferable dickhead I've ever met in my life. She really did suffer from overexposure, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, well, the obvious answer and the one we're going to skip would be Kevin Spacey, Harvey Weinstein, and Bill Cosby. I think that's... <laughs> He went there. You know what? Uh, yeah, sounds like a bad hang. I don't want any part of that. No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, that'd be horrendous. But like, if I'm going personally, there's a couple of actors out there that just really just grind my gears. And it's kind of obvious for one of them. One of them, not so much. The other one, from all reputations, he's apparently a complete dickhead. Uh, the first of which is Bradley Cooper. I don't know why, but I just can't stand that guy. Whoa. I don't know. It seems nice. He's got a cute dog. Tell me something. From what I've heard, he's... He can sing. Yeah. From what I've heard, he's, like, quite a nice guy. He doesn't drink alcohol, but, um, you know, is Oh, he sounds like a bore. Exactly. Sounds like a real snooze. I just find him... He's just, <laughs> can't trust Yeah, him. can't trust him. He's just got that level of intensity that I just... There's something about him just sort of irks me. Uh, the other one, her and her whole entire fake empire can disappear. That's Gwyneth Paltrow. Something about her. Oh, great! You don't want to. You don't want to. You don't want to goop it up. I don't want to goop it up. Come on, I don't goop steam, it up. Don't want to steam my vagina. I don't want to do anything with it. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm out of that, man. There's no way. And then the other one that was like apparently the worst celebrity in the world to play poker with is Tobey Maguire, and that was the one yep. of number one. He, yeah. I mean, Topher That's Grace, Topher Grace answer. was playing Tobey Maguire. That that was not a secret on set. He was supposed to be the Tobey Maguire surrogate because he looks like Tobey Maguire. Tobey Maguire energy, except Topher, uh, uh, Topher Grace actually seems kind of cool. Mm. Uh, the ones that I had down are uh, Kanye, because the last person I ever want to play like a game of chance <laughs> with is someone who feels entitled to win every single hand. No, thank you. Uh, Tom Cruise. I love Tom Cruise. This is the Jennifer Lawrence thing again here. Tom Cruise is a real people pleaser, and I don't I don't want that at my poker table. I don't want him constantly yakking about like, yeah, yeah. oh, great job, man. That's not what yeah, we're here for. We're here of, to play poker, yeah. sir. Lots I don't, of, I don't uh, want great that. Great hand, Jay. Great hand. That's great exactly hand. right. And then the other one for me uh, was uh, Topher Grace specifically in this movie because uh, he's the worst, <laughs> which also means really Tobey Maguire. So uh, th those were those were my answers for that one. Uh, that takes us down to our listener question, which is a question that we threw out there to you guys, our dear listeners, to answer for us, which is a pretty straightforward one this week. We basically wanted to know from you guys what your favorite ensemble film was. Uh, but for us, we're going to do our top three. So, Jay, why don't you lead us off? What are your top three ensemble films? Okay, so my number one might be up for a little bit of debate. It's known for its two leads, but it also has a really stacked cast when you go down a little bit. I went with Heat as my number one. Uh, I, I think that's an ensemble film. Uh, really, really deep cast when you go to uh, Kilmer or way on down the line. You can get to like 15 great actors in that movie. Uh, I would say Nashville, uh, which Elliot Gould is in as himself, I think. The Robert Altman film from the 70s is one of the best ensemble movies ever made. 
And finally, I will go with Paul Thomas Anderson's Magnolia, which, you know, that's got Tom Cruise in it, the guy I just mentioned, giving maybe his best performance of all time. It's a really ambitious, really weird movie that will put a lot of people off, but I am so on board for its audacity. I love that movie. Yeah. Magnolia is a good call. Uh, so obviously we kind of already touched on it. I'd have to put Ocean's Eleven on the list. I would also put Lord of the Rings on the list. I guess take your pick. I guess if you want the most people, what, Return of the King? I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, and for my third answer for the ensemble, of course, I went with the multi-answer. And just take your pick from The Godfather, Avengers Endgame, Network, Grand Budapest Hotel, and Apocalypse Now. Those are all great. You know, Avengers Endgame might actually be the best cast of the... Sheer volume. Yeah. Sheer volume. But the thing that they can't do that the Ocean's Eleven guys can do is carry a movie, like, get a movie made just by their name alone. Right. There, there, yeah, there, there aren't any real Clooney's. I mean, I guess, I guess you could maybe equate Clooney to Downey Jr., but there's no pit in, yeah. uh, in the Avengers movie, right? What are your three, yeah. Sam? Yeah, I mean, we've already mentioned The Dark Knight. I can't look past that. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Yep. Uh, Saving Private Ryan as well, I would say, is an ensemble film. Admittedly, it's Tom Hanks' character Great most cast. of the film. But, you know, we've got Damon and Vin Diesel, a couple of others as well. That sort of fill out the roles. It's when Dominic Toretto finally died. Yeah. And then... Spoiler alert. <laughs> final film, Pulp Fiction. Definitely Pulp Fiction. It's... Yeah, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite films of all time. And then I threw it out there to you guys, our listeners, to answer it for us. And we're just going to quickly fly through what you guys said to us. And, uh, yeah, we'll offer our opinions. Great answers here, Stacey. The 40-year-old version of Knives Out. <laughs> hey, the, the, those, those Apatow movies, like, you could say, like, Anchorman. Great freaking cast. Great movie. Uh, yeah. That's a good call. Comedy ensemble, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Dan Brenner, who we mentioned before, from Netflix and Swill. Well, he watches Independence Day about... 24 times on Independence Day itself, so he's put Independence Day. LJ Human went with Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. I'd go with Snatch over that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Emily Higgins from the Tasteless Podcast we mentioned before said Drop Dead Gorgeous. It stars Kirsty Alley, Denise Richards, Kirsten Dunst, Amy Adams' first role, Brittany Murphy, Alan Barkin, and Alison Janney as the Ocean's Eleven of Important Ladies. Hey, that's a, a great cast, a movie I have not seen. So uh, maybe I'll have to go check it out now. Yeah. Sold us on that one, Emily. Uh, Tarim Hollick coming in with Four Ragnarok. And Abigail Noel coming in real hot with Avengers Endgame, Tropical Thunder, Knives Out, and the 1985 Clue, 12 Years a Slave, Too Many to Name. So right, Abigail. Hendo from the Movie Journey podcast said, how can you go past the insane lineup that is the Grand Budapest Hotel? That's a good one. The Wes Anderson one is the Royal Tenenbaums as well was one that I definitely considered because that one's got Gene freaking Hackman. What a what what a stud. Uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Wes Anderson movies, they've all got loaded cast. Yeah, I mean, it's Grand Budapest was loaded anyways. And then the the secret key society montage just throws in like Bill Murray and, you know, a bunch of other folks. So. Yeah. Liz went with This Is The Ends. Uh, Renegade went with The Departed. So there we go. Popping up again. Yep. Nick went with Get On The Bus, but directed by Spike Lee. Now, this is a film I hadn't even seen. And then I looked it up and, yeah, it's pretty much every black actor from the 90s is in this film. It's pretty, pretty phenomenal. Well, yeah, the movie I have not seen either. Mm. Same. Need to check it out. Uh, Zach Dillon went with Captain America Civil War. Uh, Moose Bites can be pretty nasty. Interesting name there, bud. Went with Pulp Fiction, Snatch, and Mars Attacks. Kudos to Moose Bites are pretty nasty for mentioning Snatch, which is my favorite movie of all time. So good job by oh, you. Shit. Uh, Holio from the Contrarians podcast said, just for fun, I won't give you an MCU film and say, how about everyone says I love you? I've never even heard of this film. Uh, the final one I'm going to go with is a... Is next week's guest going to go with Colby Mack, who said The Departed. So good on you, Colby. That's a great one to finish our Twitter answers on. Also had a couple of answers over on our Facebook page, first of which was Emma, who also said The Grand Budapest Hotel. Cheers for that, Ems. Uh, Ian Hyde, who said Love, Honor, and Obey, which is a British film from, I think, 1999, which is pretty much every British actor in a film, similar to the Harry Potter films, but uh, yeah. Uh, and then the final one that we got here from our Facebook group was from Duty, who said Snatch. There you go, John. Snatch is up again. Hey. Yeah, another one. Cool. And that takes us down to the end. Now, uh, thanks you to these guys for joining us in such trying times. We haven't even mentioned it once why we have to have so many guests on this week, but it's been great having you guys, man. Cheers done well yeah for sure uh we uh we apologize to all of your fans for for bringing down the quality of the program but we're uh we're very happy to do it we love we love talking about this movie oh no man you've made it uh, a lot more i don't know in depth than we normally have so it's been great so john you don't you don't have a podcast coming back soon or anything you'd like to talk about you know 
No, I'm still on hiatus. I'm still on hiatus. But if you want to go check the backlog of junk about movies, have at it. But I will say to plug a future episode of Extra Film while we were toiling through the technical delays. uh, I feel like that's the only reason he asked me. Jay was like, hey, you want to be on an episode of our Altman series? So you can listen to me. A, next time, the next time you'll be able to hear me is on So I Married a Movie Geek, the finals for the 2000s fantasy movie draft. So vote for me and listen to that. Great podcast. And then you'll catch me sometime in May, I believe, of the In Session Podcast Network uh, for a long goodbye, I believe. The long goodbye. That is the plan as of now. As for me, uh, I do have an active podcast. It is called In Session Film. So go to whatever your podcatcher of choice is and search In Session Film. I host the Extra Film podcast there every single week where we go over uh, some indies and classics and stuff. And, and right now, you know, there's no movies in movie theaters. So we have to go back and do a retro series. So we are currently about to embark on a journey covering the films of Robert Altman. Uh, we're going to cover, I think, 10 Robert Altman films. Uh, and I'm very excited about that. So if you want to maybe do a watch along or just hear about some of the greatest movies of all time, uh, listen to our podcast. That's In Session Film and go to the website, InSessionFilm.com to read a bunch of reviews and, and all that fun junk and follow In Session Film on Twitter and Instagram and yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. I'll have links in the show notes below for anyone to find your awesome, awesome show. So yeah, cheers again for joining us. Uh, if anyone out there that's listening and wants to get a hold of us, you can find us on Twitter at Movie Reviews In, but fuck Twitter at the moment. You can find us on Facebook at <laughs> facebook.com forward slash Movie Reviews and 20 Qs. And you can send us an email at mritqs at gmail.com. And yeah, that takes us down to the end. Thank you again, everyone, for listening. That's thanks for me. Thanks, guys. Uh, bye.